Hello there, it's me, Michelle again. Surprise, we have a bonus episode this week. And we will actually have two episodes a week now for the rest of January. This week onwards, we will have an information-based episode on Wednesday and a story-based episode on Friday. So this week, as you already know from Wednesday, we have Swan from the personal finance YouTube channel, Swan Thinks. A bit of insight into Swan, Swan learned about the FIRE movement which stands for financial independence, retire early, not too long ago and then she was inspired to share more about her FIRE journey and her findings through YouTube. Her take on video content is actually research-backed and facts-based. So for example, she actually ran a comprehensive research on all 57 private retirement schemes, PRS, in Malaysia to analyse which ones are worth buying. I'm sure you would love to check that video out. You have already heard from her on Wednesday about financial independence and today we will find out more about Swan Things and her own personal finance journey and thoughts. Enjoy! So, you've been doing YouTube for a couple of months now, right? Yeah, just three months, I think. Any best or worst moments you had so far? I think the best moments are always from the community. You know, you, you do all these videos and you talk to yourself in your room. You just wonder who is going to find some value in these videos. But when someone just leaves a comment telling me that it helped them or they learned something from it, it just makes everything worthwhile. Because I just really hope that these videos make it easier for people to manage their finances. Because it really doesn't have to be all that complicated. And having your finances in order really helps you out in your life as a whole you know it makes you happier more secure so i really hope that it helps people out yeah but what has been some moments that have not been so great on youtube i think with everything online and social media and all that the worst moments are of course to deal with cyber bullies i mean i consider myself lucky because there aren't many so far but there are a few who just really take time off their day to just really hate on you you know they're there online waiting for you to post so that they can criticize you but I suppose money is a very sensitive topic and so it can trigger a lot of negative emotions especially when you're talking about something like growing wealth so I do empathize with some of them but it's just something that you have to power through when you're creating stuff online most of the community is actually really positive so I consider myself lucky but there are a few here and there Sometimes it's the same person, sometimes because it's anonymous, so I don't really know. But there are definitely a few. And has that ever made you doubt your journey of starting your YouTube channel and sharing? Or do you feel that the positive comments that you've received outweighs all these negative things that you've received? I think although it does get you down when things like that happen, but it's to understand why you started in the first place. If you're still helping someone learn something, I mean, it shouldn't matter that you're the point where someone is hating on you. It doesn't really matter. Because I also put myself in their shoes. So people don't treat others badly just out of nowhere. They're probably going through something themselves that I don't understand. So I try to put myself in their shoes and think about what 
they might be going through at home. Maybe it's bad. So that makes me empathize towards them instead of uh, kind of giving them back some hate. So I tend not to respond to them negatively because they're probably having a tough time as well. That's a very wise approach towards people who are just giving you a lot of negativity, right, in your life. I feel like that's something that everyone probably can adopt in their lives. You don't really have to be there to be receiving negative um, comments or, or like people are not treating you great. So that's definitely a very good way to approach it regardless of what situation you are dealing with in yeah. life. Just treat people the way you want to be treated. And what has been something that you've learned via YouTube that you never expected to learn and that has been really really tough for you? I think it's the notion that it's so easy to film and upload videos like it's supposed to be effortless. When I first started and I looked at YouTubers, I'm like, oh, anyone can do this, so why not try, you know, why not start? And then you start to realize how much time and effort really goes into making all these videos. So everything from writing to editing, it's a lot of work that goes into the process. And all your hard work has to be done knowing that there's no guarantee that someone will watch your videos. So you really have to be passionate about it and want to share it with others. You can always give it a try, but it's been tough in that sense. And looking at your videos, what, what's the average duration of a video for you at the moment? I think it's around 10 minutes. And, and how long does it take for you to plan, edit, and, and everything for you to do a 10-minute video? Oh, uh, tough question. I think it depends on the video because some topics are more complex than others. Because for some topics, I already kind of know what to talk about. And for others, it could be something that's new for me as well. Or I really want to get to the bottom of it to find all the details that might matter to someone. So the research phase can take anywhere from one to two weeks. But the script writing, filming and editing can be done in maybe five days, more or less. So it still takes a long time. Mm -hmm. So hopefully people appreciate all the videos that people produce on YouTube a lot more. I mean, as long as they find some value, it's fine. If it's not for you, that's fine as well, you know. Just don't, don't hate on it because it's effort yeah, regardless. Yeah, if you're stressed, you can talk to me. I'll probably reply. <laughs> <laughs> and did any other channel inspire you to start this channel yourself? Or like did anyone or anyone going through any personal finance issues or they reached out to you like with their problems? Did those inspire you to start your channel? Yeah, I was actually already quite active in some of the personal finance communities. So they would always ask questions regarding their personal circumstances and I would always reply to those posts. So I was already interested in doing that sort of advice kind of thing. So I just thought, why not start it? And the YouTuber that I watched that I admire the most is actually a lesser known one called Ben Felix. So he's a Canadian finance YouTuber and his content is more about the academic side of investing. So it's backed by extensive research, all his recommendations are evidence-based. I really wanted to cover that side of things because I feel like personal finance really needs the academic research put into it to make sure people make the best decision for their money. And 
any aspirations for your YouTube channel going forward or are you just more of a like, okay, I'll just continue doing it on a weekly basis and then we'll see how it turns out? I do plan to diversify my content a bit more because now I'm more focused on budgeting and maybe investing. But I like to talk a bit more about trading and maybe career related because I feel like reaching financial independence, you have the four elements. So you can't just focus on investing and budgeting. You have to focus on your career and also other things as well. So I plan to go in that direction. So looking back at the last five years, what would you say are the mistakes that you've made money-wise? Well, that's pretty easy because the biggest mistake was the unit trust. So we talked briefly about the power of compounding interest, right? How it helps you grow a small amount of money into a huge amount over time. Well, unit trust actually uses compounding interest to earn a huge profit from investors in the form of annual fees. Mm -hmm. And once you know this, and especially once you calculate how much these fees will cost you in the long run, they become extremely unattractive investments. This is not to say that all unit trusts are bad. There are some that can give you good returns, but these are very rare. I remember comparing all the unit trusts in Malaysia and finding that only 1% of unit trusts in Malaysia can return double digits, which is over 10% a year. And only 3% consistently beats the ASB. So if you think about it, really you have to pray that you're choosing the top 5 funds to make any meaningful return, which is much easier said than done. So that's why I sold off mine, because the statistics are really stacked against it. And now that you're no longer investing in unit trust, where are you putting that money instead? So I haven't really confirmed where I'm putting all this money, but it will most likely be partly in robo-advisors, partly in direct ETFs, some in stocks and some in crypto. (laughs) Controversial, I know, but it's just an experiment that I want to try out. And are you currently already invested in cryptocurrency? I do, but so far I've been trading, not so much investing. So Mm -hmm. it's more for short-term gains, Mm. not really for the long run. Because crypto is pretty high right now. So I'm not expecting it to stay there forever, but you never know. Mm -hmm. And let's go back to one of the other money concepts that you mentioned earlier. For yourself, what concepts or, or what do you currently do in terms of budgeting? So for budgeting, I do track my expenses very diligently. Like if you ask me like how much money I spent on food in April 2017, I could just look up on my phone and tell you the exact number. I feel like tracking your finances is really the first step to managing your finances as a whole. And it's so easy to do nowadays thanks to all these apps. Personally, I use an app called Money Manager, which is probably one of the best apps out there, so definitely you can check it out. But yeah, tracking my expenses allows me to better optimize my spending habits, and more importantly, it allows me to plan out my investments. And following on from budgeting would be spending. Like, how are you currently doing like your spending plan? What do you like? What does that kind of percentage look like, or do you have any concepts behind how you spend? 
So for spending, I do know what I spend on. I do have a budget in place after figuring that out for some time because I wanted to stabilize before I set a reasonable goal for myself. So the only thing that's like completely out of control in my spending is the food. <laughs> so I can go years without buying any new clothes, but when it comes to food, I just can't help it. Like I would never order any drinks outside because they're always so expensive, and I do bring a bottle of water, but I spend a lot on the meal itself. Other than that, I think I'm pretty disciplined when it comes to spending. The second biggest category would be on rent. The third biggest category would be on my family. So I think Malaysians generally you give some money to your parents, and the rest are just normal household items. So currently, I think I spend about three thousand ringgit a month. But ideally, I want it to be two thousand five. But food is the only thing. Okay. So yeah. But I am curious. Do you spend a lot on food? Oh yeah, I spend a lot on food as well. So my biggest expenditure is food, and I enjoy drinks. So I spend a lot of money、yeah. on food and drinks.、Yeah. Those would be my biggest expenses for the month. I I live at home, so I'm very fortunate. I don't have to pay for rent, and yeah, I I would think food is my biggest biggest one. So I actually have two budgets for food. One is called、oh、normal food and like groceries. So as much as possible, I want to spend less on like daily regular food, and then I have more money to spend on more extravagant food. But I have two separate budgets, so wow, one on food, one is called fancy food and drinks. <laughs> At least if I have that in place, I don't have to feel guilty. Cause what I used to feel in the past before I set up something like that was, I always felt very guilty about spending on things I enjoy. But I feel that. It's something that I really value, and I want to make money to be able to spend on food. Cause I also rarely ever buy clothes anymore. I don't buy like the newest phones. I always use my phones for at least three years before I change them, and I never own the latest iPhone. I, I'm not even an iPhone user. I've been using my laptop for almost ten years. So for me, it's really like the food, and then maybe a bit more on like exercise, but that doesn't cost a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, like、I、a subscription. A struggle for all Malaysian. Yeah. The yeah. friends that I know, at least, I think they also spend around the same amount, which is like one thousand a month. It's、yeah. ridiculous if you think about it. Yeah. I guess sometimes I envy people who eat to live, because then it's really simple, right? I pity them. You think so? <laughs> I think they pity us. <laughs> it depends on who you talk to. Okay, that's true. Cause when I look at these people, they derive happiness from other parts of their lives, right? Probably. I I agree. I don't think a lot of Malaysians are the type who. Eat to live, yeah. They are definitely like they live、um, to eat. But what's great about food here is that it's relatively affordable. If you're looking for like a variety、yeah. of different meals, yeah, there are definitely cheap choices out there. You don't have to go out for expensive meals. But expensive meals are really expensive in Malaysia. Yeah, in, yes, yes. Especially in KL, it's just ridiculous. Mhm. <laughs> And okay, so moving on from budgeting as well as spending, then the next thing would be. Investments. So, what does your current、um, investment portfolio look like? Well, my portfolio is pretty simple. I don't like to overcomplicate it because it makes it so difficult to keep track of everything. Because I tend to DIY, so I don't really have the time to 
constantly look out for so many things. So I have about 50% in EPF and it's a big chunk for a few reasons. But one of, one of the main reasons is to convert my EPF account into a liquid high yield savings account. Which, by the way, if you reach 1 million ringgit in your EPF, you can actually withdraw any excess yeah. at any time. Mm-hmm. So that makes it really good because you can still retire early on EPF. You don't necessarily have to wait until you're 55. So that's why I have a lot of my money in the EPF. I have a little bit in PRS and some in stash away. The reason why I don't have a lot in stash away is because I moved that money into stocks back in March, mm. which really took off because the market's tanked, so I thought it was the best move. So right now, 30% of my portfolio is in local stocks. My biggest holdings are banks, and hospitality, and REITs, and the rest are used for short-term trading. And finally, 20% of it I used to hold in Unitrust, but now they're in cash. So haven't figured out where I'm going to put that in yet. Alright. I'm asking that not particularly because I want people to follow, but I think people, they just want to feel a bit more secure when, when they know what other people are investing in. I think we always talk about how people don't really want to share, maybe partially because they don't want people to know what they're investing in, so they're not judged. But the other one is also because people shouldn't just blindly follow other people's investments. Yeah, definitely don't do that. I think nowadays they have a lot of services like eToro. Yes. They allow you to copy someone else's stock portfolio. Yeah. But I feel like that's a dangerous path. I mean, someone can do well, yeah. and then they can suddenly just really do terribly. So if you only just blindly follow, you're going to fall into all these traps and you don't have the same risk management that they have. They know what they're going to do if things fail, but you might not know. So, yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think, especially when you copy someone else, you don't copy at the exact same moment as them. So let's say they say, okay, I bought Tesla um, like $10,000. But when you buy Tesla, you probably wouldn't have bought it at the same amount um, as they have bought it. So obviously your returns are not going to be the same as this person. And if you're just blindly following, you don't know what's the fundamentals behind you buying this stock, then whenever something happens to the stock, you just feel anxious and you can't yeah. sleep soundly at night because you just have no idea what this other person that you're copying is planning to do. So it's quite yeah, and there risky. Are, there are a lot of stock picking and stock tip groups in Malaysia. Oh, yes. So many. It, yes, and they tell you, oh, you should buy this now. And then everyone just goes in and buy it and it's just crazy. But I feel like the Malaysian market is very susceptible to that kind of... Speculation. Boring stocks. I think a lot of people aren't aware, but there are a lot of operators and people behind the scenes that are trying to manipulate stock prices in Malaysia, especially with penny stocks. So you really have to look out. So if you are an investor, I would say stick with the stable companies and stay away from penny stocks because someone is behind that push and you never know what their agenda is. Yeah, I think if you're in it to make a quick buck, like if you're thinking you're gonna be rich buying a particular stock because you heard something somewhere from someone, the chances are that it's probably not gonna work out for you. And it's not a high risk, high return thing. You're literally buying it based off rumors and hearsay. Yeah, it's like a lottery kind of. Yeah, it's actually gambling. 
yeah. Yeah, so it's not it's no longer called investing, it's actually gambling because you have no idea and it's completely based on luck and speculation. At least you should have some technical background. So at least you can read the stock chart, maybe I would say. But only yeah. invest what you, you are willing to, to lose. lose. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that I, I follow. Like definitely you only invest in things that you are you're okay if it just completely disappears the next day. Mm. Great. So that's on your portfolio. So final part is a bit about your year and your plans for 2021. Like looking back at 2020, I th- I guess you've already mentioned that your highlight, uh, I guess it, it's not a good word to use, highlight, <laughs> because the stock market tanked like crazy in March. But that's where you probably made the best returns on your stocks. But maybe in terms of learnings for the year, from a money perspective, what would you say was a highlight for you? Okay. Mm, I don't want to comment on the previous part where you said the stock tanked. Yeah. So when you look at risk management, right, when the stock tanks, it doesn't necessarily mean that you should sell. Oh, yeah. So I, I remember back in March, I lost 40% of my entire portfolio, like nearly overnight 40%. So instead of selling that, I just held on to it and actually invested more. Yeah. So it's something you have to keep in mind, especially if you've already done the homework and you know the stock, the company does well. So don't give in to that sort of panic. But in terms of what I've learned in 2020 that was probably a highlight, it's not really purely money related, but I think it's in my career. So I actually made a career switch this year to a different field. And I was actually really worried about this decision because with the pandemic and everything, you know, moving into a new job might not be the best for me right now. So you're taking on the risk knowing that you could be fired at any moment. Mm. But I feel like if the opportunity allows you to learn and grow, you should go for it. As long as you have a backup plan, you should still take the risk to better yourself. A lot of people focus a lot on investing and not on their careers, when I think it should be both. Because actually your career can probably give you a better ROI than any investment out there. So definitely make sure you're happy doing what you do and that you're learning and growing every day. I really like that. I feel that probably a lot of people don't pay enough attention to what they spend most of their time on in a day and what is probably sustaining their life if they're not financially independent yet. So I think ultimately you can really achieve a lot of happiness through a fulfilling career. It's just whether you want to search for that instead of settling for something that you already have. Great advice. And the next one is any money goals for you for the next year? Money goals would probably be the same. The only thing I'm really working towards is that charity fund. So because right now I'm very focused on growing the portfolio, I lump everything into one. I really want to separate out that fund so that I can keep track of it and keep an eye on it instead of not having a direction for it. Mm-hmm. So just putting it into a separate portfolio and monitor that separately. So yeah. And in terms of content for your channel, I was wondering if there is any exciting content that's upcoming for Swan Things and that our listeners can look forward to. <laughs> exciting content really depends on the <laughs> 
I mean, investment can be a very dry topic. I understand that, but I'm gonna put out a variety of different things. I am actually thinking about talking about crypto trading because I feel like a lot of people still think it's a super speculative and non-productive asset, and that it's all being boring. But actually, the technology behind crypto is very fascinating, and it has a lot of potential. So I might do some content in relation to that to kind of debunk the whole myth that it's it's completely useless. So we'll see how that goes and how well it's received because I know a lot of people have negative feelings when it comes to crypto. Yeah, yeah. If people already have negative feelings towards just general investing, I think even more people have negative sentiments towards cryptocurrency. And it also, you should buy. Yeah. Uh, I, there's always two sides of the camp, right? Like people who are for and people who are against, and and people who don't know. So people who are in the middle and and are not doing anything about it. And the only reason why I feel there is so much sentiments around it, especially like really strong sentiments, is because of how it has grown, especially recently. Yeah, I think it's the same. You know, previously when the glove stocks are rallying, oh, yeah. Yeah. they gathered a huge following of haters as well. Yeah, which is quite ridiculous. You know, I will find people saying that, oh, the unit trust you held, it did so well, but it's all in gloves, so you shouldn't be happy about that. But at the same time, if I am an investor, I would have hoped that you invested my money in gloves, right? I I get. Missing out can be a bit painful, but I feel like that's what people are feeling. It's a little bit left behind. Yes,、me. correct. So I think the negative sentiments really come from the whole FOMO feeling. They're like, oh、yeah. no, I should have, but I didn't. So now I'm just gonna kind of hate on it and tell people that you know this is not great, because I'm not in it. But it's a good thing to be skeptical for sure.、Yeah. I wouldn't say to anyone that you shouldn't be skeptical、yeah. about some of these investments. You should, and you should learn as much as you can about it because it really affects your decision making.、Mm-hmm. Great, and that's all the questions that I have. But do you have any final words that you really want our listeners to remember before we end? I think final words would be don't leave everything to the professional and not look at it because at the end of the day, they will have their own goals that might not align to your own. So the person that will best look out for you is actually yourself, and with so much information out there, you can learn a lot about investing and managing your own money without it being too overwhelming or complicated. So definitely learn and find out more. And even if it doesn't work out for you initially, you can always go back to a professional. But you've gained so much knowledge, and you can learn a lot about different businesses and industries and the economy as a whole. So you really only have more to gain by looking at things yourself. So that's what I would encourage people to do. That reminds me of something someone said recently on my podcast as well. She said that if you give all Of this away to a professional, you are technically also outsourcing your learning, which is exactly what you said. So not only are you outsourcing your wealth building, you're also outsourcing all the learning that you would miss out on if you've given that away. And if you learn about all these things, you might find that you can meet a lot of new people with a lot of things to to teach. And even at your job, you can find more topics to talk about with your boss or whoever. It really helps you out in all sorts of. Different aspects in your life. 
Definitely agree and hopefully our listeners leave with that. And that's all we have for today's episode on Her Do It. Thank you so much, Swan, for spending your time with us today. Thank you, Michelle. I had fun. No problem. Thank you. And that's it. Another episode done and dusted on Her Do It. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Swan. As always, for more information to help you on your personal finance journey, feel free to ping me on at her.doit on Instagram or Her Do It on Facebook. I'm happy to have a chat whenever. Have a nice weekend and see you next Wednesday. Bye!